0: Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I'm your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch.
1: And I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and your other host, <laughs> reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. You're so good
0: at that reminder, mm. other host. On today's show, another bonus that we shouldn't even call things bonus episodes anymore. But
1: it is, it's a bonus. A It is a
0: bonus episode.
1: You've been slotted two episodes a month, and now you're getting four? Just
0: constant, yeah, so far. Just constant. Just endless. You're just being woken up in the middle of the night,
2: listen to Bloodstream. Yeah.
0: Today we've got Bobby Wiseman. He's a blood Uh, brother with hemophilia. Love him. And he has joined James Maple for another one of our conversations in honor and recognition of Black History Month. As has Dima Hendricks, a wellness coach and sickle cell disease advocate. She's also the founder of hashtag Through the Pain. You're gonna hear from Bobby uh, here in just a little bit and Dima a little bit later in the show. We have got all of that and more today on this pop up episode. Welcome to Bloodstream.
1: Listeners, as always, thank you for joining Patrick and I here on Bloodstream. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast and follow Bloodstream Media on social media. Just do it. It'll be great.
0: And listeners, I also want to remind you that the Bloodstream Podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Takeda. Yes, that's right. Takeda. Takeda's got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda believes in a world... Free of bleeds. We do as well. That is true. Mm -hmm. And they are dedicated more than even in the last episode Mm. in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey,
1: wherever wherever on that journey journey they they may be.
0: be. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time, even if you don't need it, that's (laughs) bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say... Thanks, Takeda. Thank
1: you, Takeda. All
0: right, we got Bobby Wiseman, Blood Brother, coming up with James Maple. We'll get to Dima Hendrix so after good. that. And I have a little something I want to share with you, Amy, oh. somewhat inspired by something you said on our previous episode. But okay. we'll get to that in between. Coming up next is Bobby.
3: Hello, Bloodstream audience. Your best friend James here with another exclusive interview with Mr. Bobby Wiseman Jr. He is in the house talking to us today. Uh, Mr. Bobby, how are you?
4: I'm doing wonderfully well for whatever time on a Monday is, awake and alive, and got my faculties together.
3: Well, always, that's always positive things. Uh, Before we jump into the interview, could you mind telling uh, the audience a bit about you, where you're from, and your connection to the bleeding disorders community? Well,
4: yes, I am the eldest grandson of John Brown Sr., Dorothy Mae Brown. I am the oldest and only son of Alice Edna Childs. I'm a San Francisco Bay Area native. I'm a youthful 51 and a half. Yes, I still count my half marks because I just do. Oh, yeah, that's a quick nutshell about it.
3: What's your connection to the bleeding disorders community in case our audience doesn't know?
4: Well, let's see. I am a individual living with hemophilia B. I am a former summer camp director. I'm a former man while coordinator. I'm a former chapter outreach demonstration project coordinator for the African-American community, Uh, former youth uh, chair of the Inter- World
3: Federation human Faith Youth Congress. A lot of, you got a lot of uh, titles there, my friend. A lot of titles. I like it.
4: they just things that have built me to get to where I'm at today. The titles okay. don't. The Hill of Beans. Excuse me. <laughs>
3: <friend. laughs> Let's jump right into things. So um, uh, I want to kind of s- frame this within the context of Black History Month. So what does black history mean to you within the context of the bleeding disorder space?
4: That's a loaded question, James, um, because when I came up, bleeding disorders was termed hemophilia. Okay, And in the progression mm-hmm. of lifetime, the progression to bleeding disorders, uh, Black History Month was always there. The two, both Black History Month, hemophilia, bleeding disorders all go together. That the uniqueness of one person or one community makes up the diversity, richness of the bleeding disorders community that diversity and richness also has its challenges. And that what I've seen within the bleeding disorders community is a uh, kindred spirit to address some of those differences, challenges in a way that has gotten community forward, that has gotten community to look at things differently, that has gotten community to a point of saying, we may not agree on this, but here's where we agree here and that if this is available at point Q, it's not available for all, how can we do that? At the same time with that, the bleeding disorders community in all of its progression, in all of its looking at similar differences, says at the same time that we guard ourselves as a community and keep each other safe. That's what it means to me.
3: So so I want to kind of focus in a bit more on um, any it, it, your personal experience. Do you find that there are specific obstacles that exist as a, as a black American, as a, as, a, uh, as a black man navigating the bleeding disorder space? And if so, what did you do? Were there certain organizations, people that you reached out to t- for help to navigate within that space?
4: Well, for, for context, I was born in 1971. At the time of my diagnosis, it was not a known or a given that a black male or a black person could be diagnosed with hemophilia. Let's start there, okay? Then the second piece of that, it's for me, my context is not navigating my bleeding disorder as a black man. My context is navigating my bleeding disorder with the appropriate supports. My family raised me in such a way that my, I knew who I was as a person. Yes, I was a black man growing up in San Francisco. My context was different. Did that mean my access to healthcare was a positive or a negative? Did that mean my access to educational systems positive or negative? Did that mean had no or many role, quote unquote role models in community? It was always changing. What I mean by that, being in the melting pot of the Bay Area, I had folks who were like and similar to me, not just African-American men, women the whole shebang where we connected because of the bleeding disorders piece that yes you know we have some conversations around what is your experience as this yours is that my experience as a 51 year old black male with hemophilia is not the same as a 48 a 51 a 65 year old black male in another area or a woman because each of us has our own experience that that to have this tagline that all of our experiences are the same is not necessarily true. We have things that are similar and things that are dissimilar because at the same time walking through with my bleeding disorder, also being a same gender loving person and a person of faith, navigating all those different channels. So it just wasn't one thing that that fostered my experience. Now there are people, yes, in community um, uh, that I grew up with and under Val Bias who transitioned a bit ago. Some of the young men and women out of the program out of Northern California, as well as some folks on the international market, that all poured into me and vice versa. Where they do we all look the same? No. Think the same? No. Believe the same? No. But was that my experience?
3: Yes. I'm curious, given your the multifaceted you know answer you just gave, what what advice would you give to someone? You know, your younger self, your, your 20-year-old self, or any person looking up to you who sees themselves in you, what advice would you give to them?
4: Question, redirect, question, and ask. And what I mean by that, looking back, would I have changed some of the things that I did? No. Would, am I richer for those experiences? Yes. Would I question some things more? Yes. Yes. But at that time and space where I was at, either work-wise, family-wise, or person-wise, I didn't care to. I was living and doing my thing. You know, as you say, look back, you know, live life. You know, I came up in a, in a time when said about independence, education, advocacy. I remember many uh, on-the-road meetings where getting up the next morning around 9 o'clock, I had the sunglasses on. And there's many... 6 a.m. conversations and whatnot. Would I give up those experiences? No. That when we're talking with some of the guys and girls now, we think back to some of the things we did and where we are now. Those are some of the best moments. Would I give that up and say, oh, no, you shouldn't have? No, I wouldn't have. Gave me some good memories, too. Say, no, not doing that again. And I think I'm glad I did. Fill in the blanks yourself.
3: Well, uh, speaking of the glad, the glad I did it, you, you, we talked in the very beginning about um, the many accomplishments that you, you've had in your life and your 51 and a half years, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back, what is, one, what is one of the most notable accomplishments that you can think of?
4: That, that's, that, 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 that's a loaded question. I'm going to try to be good. That today is Monday we're doing this. Okay? <laughs> Typically, I'm off on Mondays because okay? it's a full day of worship. And the most notable, Jesus, I'm still here. Okay, that's the most notable. I'm able to, to, my brain is intact. My feet get me from A to B and I have choice. That's the most notable thing. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of titles I got and had, a whole bunch of cute little plaques all over the place and things. But the most notable is that I'm still here through the adversity, which turned into a positive for me through the moments of some damn dark places. Let me just put it as it is. And then at that small light in that tunnel, and I'm still here, that the opportunity to make a change for my own life first, not in order to inspire or motivate somebody else, but for my own self. Because at the end of the day, in my four walls, I'm in my own head. I can only please myself, redirect my own self. So that's my most impressive this, that, the other, whatever. The, yeah, there's the titles and the acronym. They're cute, okay. Everybody got to go to the bathroom at some point in time and take a shower. Them titles ain't in there. And the thing that inspires I can be true to myself and be accountable and responsible, and to hold my head high as my mama's child and my granddad and grandmama's child. When the people who surround me know how I am and they protect me in that. Both on the health side, mental health side, all of that.
3: The idea of community has come up quite a bit in the interviews that I've done. And I'm always interested. This is a bit off script. This is not a question I put in here for you. But community can, can be beyond this, your, your, your circle. So for someone outside of your circle who knows very little about hemophilia, what do you think is the first thing they should know?
4: Ask the person that they're encountering. That's number one. If there's a person. If there's not. And they're just doing a Google search. Okay, that's printed black and white. That doesn't give breath and life. Do that additional step and reach out, connect with the person. That's that's the that's there's not a thing to know about hemophilia bleeding disorder because each of us are different. Both uh, male, female, uh, provider, all that clinic. We're all different. All of our perspectives are different. All of our understandings of hemophilia bleeding disorders is different. That what I thought and knew about hemophilia when I was 8, 9, 18, da, da, and now, there's some core information in there. And there's stuff I've gotten rid of because of my growth and stuff I'm still moving towards and into. And so it, it's not necessarily, you know, someone who wants to know about hemophilia bleeding disorders. That it, especially in this day and age of uh, new things and whatnot, it's also for the person with his or her bleeding disorder and other stuff of what they have to relearn. And I know that firsthand of some things I'm still having to relearn because of gene therapy piece. That's almost on the constant. So it's that thing, and that it takes it out of the, the one thing knowing or learning about hemorrhage out of the academia up there and all in the ether. Bring it down, person to person. That's what it's about, this disconnect of, well, I'm afraid that, baby, ask your question, even if it's wrong, okay? The person may get upset. Oh, well, let them, find somebody else. Because if you're asking to seek truth or an answer, if your heart is really there, ask your question.
3: My next question to you, because I'm I'm gathering, uh, uh, that your center seems to be your family. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but family seems to be very important to you. Is that right?
4: I would concur with you, James, that words are not put into my mouth.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm curious about, you know, in, in watching you... Uh, in the Let's Talk documentary that I, I talked about before we started recording, and my experiences with Patrick, and I'm always interested to know what what advice you have for that, that family who has a child that's born with a bleeding disorder who who had no experience, no you know it, that wasn't in their realm of understanding, but all of a sudden, boom, things change. What 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 what, what bit of advice would you give to like that, that family on like that, that day one talk?
4: Let's say that that lovely bundle of joy just came on out in the delivery room. They on the the 14th floor, you know, OBGYN sitting cradling that little baby and that done did the blood work. Yeah, I said done did. Walk along here with me for a second. I'm going to say the first thing. The first thing is pray. I'm not talking no denominational prayer necessarily. It's pray to whatever entity being whatever for that family. Okay, that's number one. That that family there, and that mama. Okay, because our mothers bear the burden of so much in the entire bleeding disorders realm, because they are the one that birth out that baby. Okay, and talk with each other, not at, not this thing of well I didn't know this, I didn't know that. Okay, and the other thing is figure out the yin yang and what you might call it in that relationship. Because as that baby grow, one don't have to take care of some set of stuff, the other another set and parent in such a way that ebb and flow when the issue may come up or a decision that if there are others in the house, how to really deal with all that. And the third, fourth key thing, take time for yourselves as the parents. (laughs) Rely on your community and your network. The people gonna say whatever they wanna say, make the decision as, the individual head of household or the two caregiver head of household and rely on your village if you have it. All that extra reading is wonderful and great that the people do on the internet and look it up and Google hear all the horror stories and all that. Stop all that, baby. You didn't do that when you found out you was pregnant about how to change a diaper when the little boy pee pee all over yourself. You didn't, you didn't know what that like when you get that first burst all in your face. You experience it in that moment. Don't psych yourself out.
3: All right. My last question for you, Bobby, before we let you go, um, is a question I've asked all my guests uh, during this series. What do you want your legacy to be when you're long gone? You know, when when you when people look back on your life, what do do you want to be most remembered for?
4: Fulfilled purpose. Um, At one point in time, I did not know what it was, my purpose for still being here. Uh, 15, 16 years old, massive GI bleeding, coma, 45 days. Uh, car accident, sideswiped by a drunk drive on New Year's. Passenger died on the scene. I walked with scratches with severe hemophilia. Short while later, uh, double pneumonia on a, a deathbed. My mama had to come down and get me. Then uh, another day, a couple years later, going to get my nails done because they had to get done and pass out at the nail shop. Then I get on home and treat, you know, because I hit my head. I'm, I'm stubborn. It's like, ended up in the emergency room. And they said, you wasn't going to live, hmm, Jesus, six months, three months at the max. But I'm still here. I'm still fighting. Not in a, in a you know, a Muhammad Ali way. But I'm fighting to keep my purpose going. To keep pouring in where necessary. To keep living the life that was given to me to live. That there were many adversities that, yeah, wasn't cute all the time. But living in spite of and because of that. Of reaching and saying, okay, yeah, they said no over here. Okay, but I can try over this way. Because that no is the next opportunity. Of being able to be purposeful and intentional in what I'm doing and what have you. Okay, and keeping certain stuff out. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I'm at, <laughs> Jesus, I got. I ain't got time for foolishness. I ain't got time for the mouth flapping and all that. I'm too old for that. Okay. Not chronologically, but before what I've been through, I don't have the time to be drawn out of me and nothing poured in. So in fulfilling my purpose and being clear in that. And with the young people I work with of keeping them focused on some things. Okay. Yeah. You're going to go three steps forward, seven back. All right, baby, that's fine. Keep on doing what you need to do. Okay, you don't understand this here? Do your research, not on your phone or ask Siri. Take your butt down to the library. Ask somebody. Okay, yeah, it's hard sometimes to do it. What you good at, you do that. Where you ain't good at something, get help. All right, see you <laughs>
3: I and definitely it. think those are uh, inspiring words to, to be remembered for and certainly ones to live by. Bobby, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me, with the Bloodstream audience. Always, always a pleasure. And um, we will talk with you soon. Thank you. Amy
0: Bort, I don't know if this is going to be as articulate as ideally I'd like it to be. Oh, no. But for the last number of weeks, I have been feeling uh, a little more concerned about the state of all things, bleeding disorders than I have uh, usually. And it's kind of, I feel like I want to warn the community, which also feels strange, because who am I to warn anybody about anything? But what I'm concerned about right now, dear hemophilia community, is the fact that we have had a lot of fractures in our leadership and in our advocacy structures over the last number of years. There's been a lot of disruption positive disruption to the treatment landscape but that disruption does cause all sorts of consternation and processes to be re-examined and there's payer stuff and there's 340b stuff and there's all sorts of stuff and you made the point in our last episode with your migraine story and your letter that we in the bleeding disorders community and people like me with hemophilia can be reliant on our clinicians at the hemophilia treatment center Uh, our point of contact at our specialty pharmacy to really fight our biggest fights for us or to Mm. do the dirty work and Mm. i think it's true too and i think about last week's conversation with nathan in washington days you know i don't want to disparage my mother i love my mother and she had a lot going on raising two kids with hemophilia as a single parent on one income and the whole nine but i always remember like when she would say stuff about like oh other people are gonna other people do that other people do that And at a certain point of age, being like, who? Who are the people? Right. Like, who's lobbying on my behalf? Who's talking to my representatives? Who's protecting my interests? Just some amorphous, nameless, faceless people? Right. I don't trust that. Maybe it should be me. And I think as a community, as we get healthier, as there's more and more treatments that are made available, as life with hemophilia, I just had a friend from 20 years ago call me to say, hey, turns out, going through this stuff with my husband, I'm a genetic carrier of hemophilia. Patrick, tell me about hemophilia right now. And I'm thinking about like, wow, what a different picture it is to be talking to, she's not even pregnant. They're thinking about family planning. This is a baby that would be probably born next year. Right. And thinking about what's hemophilia being born in 2024. Wow, how wonderful. What a different world from when yeah. I was born in 1985. Yeah. And yet at the same time, if we're living in this bleed-free world and in a world where people don't feel like, oh, I don't have to go to the, the advocacy thing. I don't need to respond to the chapter thing. Yeah. I don't need to get involved yeah. in HFA's call to help find a new... Well, then who is supposed to do that work? Yeah. And if we don't do the work... Fast forward three to five years, and as all of these rare diseases are starting to see more and more products be come to market, the ninety five percent that historically have had no, di- right. we are a leader in that group, and it yes. almost feels to me like we are willingly backsliding. That we are willingly taking steps backwards because there's this idea that like, well, we're all getting healthier, so let's just make sure that we like bring up the 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 basement for the women who have been ignored, and DEI is still something that we we got to like bring equity to everybody. But we're doing pretty well. I, I don't agree with that. I think we actually need a lot more attention on what makes this community work, what makes our advocacy organizations work, what makes the networking of all of this work, why do we do it? And if we believe in it, are we making sure that we're pouring water on the soil that makes this work, or are we distracted? Are we looking at other things? Are we too fractured? And, you know, without getting too inside baseball, and then I'll, I'll leave this here, like, I'm also, I'm a part of different initiatives and projects and committees and assignments and task force. Like I, I have some uh, visibility into the inner workings of some of these places. And I'm telling you, I'm concerned. So I ask those who are listening to this podcast, cause you are of above average engagement. You're listening to this podcast. What could you be doing to help make sure that you and your family's health today, tomorrow, in five years, is as optimized as possible? Are you doing all the things you could be doing? And if you're not, is there one thing, one thing more that you could add to make sure again, that you, your family now and in the future are taken care of because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about.
1: I agree. And I would also add one more bullet to that. As you who are listening, who are engaged listening to this podcast, you're obviously engaged. What can you do to build relationships within your community to draw more people in and to identify leaders within the community, to identify maybe some outliers in the community that are lonely, that aren't doing well, that maybe don't have access to some of the things that are new and shiny? One of the things that I think um, in my own medication advocacy journey, one of the physicians said on this webinar, it, it is because of the science and this new science that is so exciting that we're having these issues, mm-hmm. and you know, payers are just far behind. They want to use what's what has worked in the past, what is cheaper, and those of us in the hemophilia community, we have been the same for a long time, and here we are on this paradigm shift. Of treatment, And you as the patient get to choose what you want based on your lifestyle. And that is going to take more advocacy and more education and more awareness and more knowledge and then more action. And so I I love your call to action to this. Um, we, we've been talking over the last year that attendance is down at some yep. of these things. Yep. You know, everybody does. I, I think coming out of the pandemic, everybody's quote unquote fine. Right. There There, there is always going to be a need for our community. There's always going to be um, kind of a safety net for for those that are not having um, a good experience that will slowly, you know, ease out of that. And uh, those of you that are listening, what can you do to optimize your own advocacy, your own um, your own family and also to build relationships in the community and bring folks in and identify leadership?
0: And if you have ideas that you want to share outwardly, you can ping us on social media, Bloodstream Media, Amy or myself, Mm -hmm. or shoot us an email mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com if this is an issue that is of interest to you and you have some thoughts or ideas about that you'd like to share. We'll leave it there for now and let us move into our conversation with Dima Hendricks, again, wellness coach and sickle cell advocate who met with James Maple in honor of Black History Month. And that interview is coming up right now.
3: Hello, Bloodstream. It is your new best friend, James Maple, here with a very exciting guest for you. We have advocate, author, ambassador, amazing pageant expert, Miss Dima Hendricks. Welcome to the show today, Dima.
2: Well, good. well thank you for having me. Um, it's an honor to be here.
3: Wonderful. Uh, before we jump into the interview, just tell us a quick rundown of who you are, what you do for work, and um, your connection to the bleeding disorders community.
2: So I'm Dima Hendricks. I'm a sickle cell warrior um, and a sickle cell health coach. I've been working with um, psychologists from the Pits- University of Pittsburgh um, on the Charisma Study. And you guys probably interviewed him before, Dr. Jonasant. Gen- And um, I'm now the program coordinator for the study. So I'm actually helping sickle cell warriors through health coaching. Um, So, yeah, that's what I'm currently doing now. But I do, as you said before in my intro, I do a lot of other things. Um, And I'm also um, the founder of the Through the Pain 501C3. Amazing.
3: Amazing. Amazing. I think this is a perfect opportunity for us to kind of jump in and talk about things. So um, I want to get a sense of what life is like for you. I mean, I have a good sense as a black American myself, but specifically as a black American, as a black woman. um, What does what does black history mean to you as a black woman within the context of the bleeding disorder space? I'm always curious to know that.
2: So within the space, um, what it means to me, I think of first and foremost, Henrietta Lacks. She gave her black girl magic to help cure cancer. And, you know, it It wasn't, of course, not by her permission, or her family's permission, but people looking into her life and looking into her DNA is what sparked a lot of what's going on in the medical space right now. So um, I think historically we've always been um, before we, we have actually been, you know, tested and, and, and guinea pigs. But now I feel that that work has allowed us to come into the space where we're not curing just people who are of color, but the world. Um, so I, I just think that we have a lot of black, for me, black girl magic, black boy magic. Yes, that's yes. Happening in the black history space. <laughs>
3: So Dima, you know, one question I, I, I love posing to my guests is is talking about the obstacles that you've run into as a as a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, as you, you know, you're an advocate, but you also are a patient yourself. What are some obstacles that you've run into as a black woman navigating the bleeding disorder space?
2: So as a black woman, we're known as the strongest. We're always strong. We are the pillars of our family. Um, and. With that, we're often, quite often, we're not believed. Um, and we're not believed not by our, our own people, our spouses, our, our family members, because we are always so strong. Um, and also, we're not believed in the medical space. And there's also some times where there's a lot of medical gaslighting that happens. Um, and so I run into that all the time. Like, oh, you look you look fly. You're, you know, you bring your black girl magic. So there's nothing wrong with you or you look put together. Um, And then there's the like, are you really in pain or are you really that sick? Um, And so we as a black woman, I come across that all the time.
3: So I guess the, the follow up question to that would be. I mean, you seem to be a successful black woman and, and seem to be, you know, you're well put together, you know, you know how to navigate this space. So for someone listening who's experienced something similar to you, what 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 ways did you kind of crawl yourself or, or navigate yourself around those obstacles or, or, or their organizations, community members that you turn to to help you navigate that?
2: One, we have to be our own our own advocates and using your own voice is very instrumental and being educated in your illness is a must. Um, So we can be able to talk to the doctors and know their lingo. Um, As far as community organizations, there's the Sickle Cell Community Consortium that educates all of the partners in the community. Dr. Lakia Bailey, she is the founder and the president. And um, we've learned so much from her and know how to take care of ourselves. And she's actually put a lot of initiatives together within that, uh, within the consortium. Um, other organizations, the American Red Cross recently partnered with the sickle cell community and having blood drives for sickle cell warriors. Um, so there's so many different community organizations that are, a, that are able to help us, um, right now in this space. And then there's nonprofits like mine that through the pain. <laughs>
3: you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that because it leads perfectly to my next question. Yeah. Uh, I want to stay on this topic of advocacy. Now, looking back on your, 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 your career, what moment are you most proud of in the advocacy work that you've done?
2: Um so I'm not really proud. I'm, you know, I'm cool with the out accolades or whatever. It's, that's, uh, it's okay. I think I'm proud each time when someone says to me, especially a warrior, um, says, you know, I see you, you're, you're doing it. You've helping me to stay strong. You're, you know, um, I, I put out a, a Facebook or, or Instagram story and I was like, why am I doing this? This is trash, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> complete trash. And, um, Someone reached back out to me and said, this this really helped me." So just hearing that feedback is that makes me proud.
3: To someone who is brand new to the sickle cell space, what's what's what do you think like the first like pillar of knowledge they they should know about sickle cell?
2: Uh, it hurts a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, it really is, is painful. Um, and as something that I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy. Um, and that there's a lot to learn because sickle cell doesn't just affect the body. It affects the social economical status. It affects relationships. It affects everything, every part and every nuance of life. Sickle cell takes over. Um, So I, I think that's important to know. When stepping into this
3: space, you know, going along with stepping into the space, I'm always curious too to know what advice would you give? You know, along the lines of my of my previous question, like a parent who has a child that has sickle cell, you know, you you you, this this hypothetical parent we're talking about have have theoretically lived decades with with no knowledge of sickle cell it didn't Mm -hmm. affect them Mm -hmm. what what advice would you give to a parent who has recently had a child with sickle cell I mean I I imagine this is a life-altering life-changing thing new element to their life I, I know it can't be easy so to any parents out there listening like what bit of advice do you have for them
2: so that's not a hypothetical question because I actually know a parent um, who did not know anything about cell. In fact, she's on my board, oh, well. <laughs> for through the pain now, and um, she just she thought it was a death sentence. And now we and we had a conversation yesterday, which was so crazy. Um, when she sees me and she talks to me, she understands and she sees that. Wow, my son can have a beautiful full life with sickle cell disease and make impact in the space um so one sickle cell is not necessarily a death sentence um two there's more research out there and there's there's a lot there's more medicine and things are being done now to make life with sickle cell better um and three make sure you're surrounded by people who love you and that will support you when you're your child.
3: That's excellent advice for sure. So do you, do you ever run across this um, within the bleeding disorder space? I do. I, I, you know, I, I work for uh, bloodstream podcast, so I've been here for about a year. So my knowledge of, of hemophilia was really first and foremost because Patrick has hemophilia himself. Um, I'm curious to know though, do you feel that sickle cell has proper representation within the bleeding disorder space at large? And if not, what are ways that we can bring more awareness to sickle cell?
2: so we're I think we're doing it now, having the conversation of bringing awareness. And to answer your initial question, no, there's not a lot of representation. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of spaces uh, to talk about sickle cell period. Um, but now things things are changing. For the good, things are changing for the better, and um, now we finally have a sickle cell textbook. Like, bro, <laughs>
3: when, <laughs> when
0: that was
2: released, it was amazing. Now we can actually can can we have the knowledge at our fingertips? Um, so, utilizing the tools that we are we are getting now is uh, the best bet, um, and I think we just need to have more conversations like these. Um, And I I do want to add that there's not a lot of support within our own community. And, you know, sickle cell is known as the black disease. And there's people with sickle cell who are not black. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: (laughs) So, you know, um, or don't identify as black. And because of this, we don't have a lot of support. newborn, there's not, uh, not a lot of newborn screening, there's not a lot of testing, people are walking around with trait and not under, not even knowing that they're carriers, so I would implore everyone to kind of, we need to educate, we need to have the kitchen table talk at home, and you know what I mean when I say that. Mm-hmm. As, as a Black community, need to have the kitchen table talk and say, look, this is what happens and mm-hmm. this is why it's important. Um, and I think when we tell our own people, then as a collective, we can work better together.
3: Along the lines of working better together, um, I'm curious to know about your specific advocacy goals in 2023, you know, in researching you, I know you you do a lot of different things that not even even just in sickle cell, but you Mm -hmm. speak to so many different people. I'm curious to know, do you have any goals for advocacy across the board? that you've set for yourself to achieve in
2: 2023? So I want to kind of establish my nonprofit Through the Pain a little bit more. Um, and I have a podcast called Through the Pain. Um, and this year I want to focus on the, the podcast, um, the relationship dynamic. Um, and I have a segment called Loving Through the Pain. And so I have m- my husband who's who's my husband, but he's a caregiver. It's really important. The dynamic of the caregiver and and spouse relationship is really is really nuanced and it's really difficult and it can be very demanding on a relationship. So we're going to get into that. So that's one of my goals. My second goal is to raise more awareness about the importance of blood donations. Um, and so we're having a, several blood drives within the community soon. So those, those are my main two goals.
3: Incredible. Um, yeah. My last question for you, before we let you go, Dima, and I'm, I'm always curious about this for all of my guests. What do you want your legacy to be when you are long gone and people remember Dima Hendrix? What do you want them to remember about you, Dima?
2: Wow. That is a loaded question. Um, I want my legacy to be an extension. And I apologize for those who are not people of faith. I just have to preface this, but um, I'm a woman of faith and I just want my legacy to be an extension of what God's grace and what God's plan is and what God, what God has and what he is. I just want to be an extension of that. I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm living his purpose.
3: Well, you are certainly doing it and making amazing strides along the way. Uh, everyone, please, please, I implore you, go follow Through the Pain podcast. I'm assuming available wherever you listen to podcasts, right, Dima?
2: Yes, wherever you Excellent.
3: listen to Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. And I will do a live pitch. I would love to be a guest on the show, on your show, Dima. I'm going to make that request live on air right now. And um, with that said, Dima Hendricks, thank you so much for taking the time. We look forward to hearing from you again.
2: Take care, everyone.
3: Thank you to
0: Dima. As well as to Bobby and, of course, to James for contributing to today's episode of Bloodstream, an episode that would not be possible were it not for our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Takeda. Thanks, Takeda. Visit bleedingdisorders.com to learn more. Bloodstream will be back next on February 24th, which is just next Next week. week. That's the cadence we're on right now. Amy, what can listeners expect to hear next week?
1: We'll have more interviews for Black History Month, and we're going to have a preview of Rare Disease Day, which is the best day. And, of course, we'll have another segment of... Let's talk with Joshua Sterling Bragg.
0: February 28th this year, but next year it's going to be the 29th again. Rare
1: Disease Days, 28th. Episodes 24th, Rare Disease Days, 28th.
0: And we don't need to talk about next year again. Sorry, I made it very confusing by bringing up a whole other year, let alone a different date this month. But (laughs) with all of that, friends, that is all for this episode. And as always, a reminder subscribe, listen to, and share episodes of the Bloodstream Podcast, and really all of the podcasts that are available via bloodstreammedia.com. Share them with friends, colleagues, neighbors. Uh, People you're related to, maybe somebody that you just met on a dating site. Really, you could share them with anybody. I'm not going to discriminate. For sure. And if you or a loved one in the bleeding disorders community is a musician and you'd like to share songs and stories for a new segment on Bloodstream, email mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com.
1: You can also use mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com to inquire about storytelling and casting opportunities for our podcast and Believe Limited's films. We're always casting something, literally always. Literally always. And you can connect with us on social media. You can connect with Bloodstream Media. You can. Or me. My name is Amy. Or Patrick, his name is Patrick
0: My name is Patrick, I am your host, Patrick James Lynch And I'm your other
1: host, Amy Board And until next time, next
0: week, take self-care of yourself
1: Bye everybody Bye bye